0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. We are glad you're here today, each and every one of you. We find ourselves in the middle of a sermon series through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number four, verses one through nine will be our text today. And the theme of the entire sermon series is happiness, joy, because that's the theme of the book of Philippians. We're talking about the happy thief. What we're explaining throughout these 10 weeks, we're in week number nine, is that you as a child of God have a certain inheritance. Something has been left to you by God the Father. A gift that is part of your royal heritage. It is the daily gift of happiness, joy. The daily portion of, of being actually filled with joy. This is your gift. The problem is there's an inheritance thief. Somebody who is attempting to steal your joy on a daily basis... And we've been identifying these ten villains from the book of Philippians who are attempting to steal your joy at each and every turn. Today we arrive at villain number nine. Villain number nine, we refer to him as the rest raider. The rest raider, the one who steals your joy by making you run ragged emotionally, who wears you out, giving you no rest at all. How many of you in this room are a bit tired? Anybody tired? How many of you are tired? Raise your hand if you're tired today. Some of you are so tired you can't even raise your hand. <laughs> I've got a, like a six-year-old boy raised his hand up here. I don't know what you're tired about, but he's been tired. He's tired. <laughs> we're Americans. We're tired. Of course we're tired. We just came through two of our greatest holidays. Thanksgiving, which is a great holiday. And then Black Friday, which is equally a great holiday. And it's exhausting, even the holidays of ours are exhausting. Um, how many of you cooked? Who cooked Who cooked this week? Who, who was the actual cook? Not, look, sir, if you peeled potatoes, that doesn't count. <laughs> you didn't cook. Who cooked? Who actually cooked? Raise your hand. You cooked? What, what did you cook? Jordan cooked the turkey. Did you really cook the turkey? Did you, did, was it good? Are you telling the truth? You're in church. Are you... Th- really? Give him a round of applause. He cooked the turkey. This is... This is a man who can do it all. That's right. Well, you worked at Chick-fil-A for years, right? So, did you ba- basically put peanut oil and dip it in the fryer? Is that what... No? All right. I'm not sure. I don't know what you did to make it. All right. Who else? Who else cooked? Yeah, what did you cook? Yes, ma'am. What did you cook? Lasagna. For Thanksgiving. Are you new to the country? <laughs> it's okay. We love immigrants. We're glad you're here. From new no, from Italy. You from Italy? She's from Sicily, and she's like, ah, hey, it's a, it's a Thanksgiving, and we got to have some lasagna. Is that what's going on? You're Irish. Is that what you said? You're Irish? You are very confused. Okay, this person. <laughs> But you get exhausted, right? You cook the whole meal and then everybody comes and it takes days to prepare, days to prepare. And in 20 minutes everybody just scarves it down and they get up and they're like, somebody should have prayed. Nobody prayed. we got to pray, right? Thanksgiving. Uh, we, it, but that wasn't the only thing that happened. How many of you watched football this week? Any football? Anybody watch football? Oh, man. i got to tell you, that can be relaxing except some of these games stress me out, man. I watched the Alabama-Auburn game yesterday. Anybody see this? I, st- I have an aneurysm, I think, in my mind. Mu- it's just incredibly stressful. It-, it doesn't bring a lot of rest. For example, in these, how many of you, Black Friday, anybody go shopping this week? Who woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go buy a half-priced pair of Crocs? Who did it? I know some of you. Some of you did. I don't, don't tell me you did it because it was full of people when I was there. <laughs> it was. It was. It's embarrassing running into you out there. My shopping cart full, you know what I mean? (laughs) Buying myself stuff. Pastor, are you buying people things? Yes, me, I'm buying me things. So Thanksgiving also includes awkward conversations with relatives. Anybody have an awkward conversation with a relative at Thanksgiving? You know, you weren't gonna bring it up. Your wife told you not to bring it up, but you brought it up anyway. Because, you know, you have to talk about these things. You made a post on social media and nobody commented, so somebody's going to listen to you. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it's exhausting. It's fun. It's exhausting physically. It's exhausting mentally. It's exhausting emotionally, spiritually. The ninth villain, the ninth villain attempts to thieve away your joy by running you ragged emotionally. And he does so by interfering in your relationships. And that's what verses one through nine of, Ephesians, uh, of Philippians chapter four discuss. Again, verse by verse through this book, the apostle Paul finally addresses joy from the perspective of the relationships we deal with. And he explains to us that the reason a lot of us are not experiencing daily happiness is because we're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with others and we're not at peace with ourselves. And so he addresses all three in this passage. So the main thought for the sermon is very simple, I'm gonna say it out loud, we're gonna put it on the screen and then I want you to say it with me. The main thought of the entire sermon today, very simple, stop freaking out. Okay, let's say it together. Stop freaking out. Say it with me. Come on. Stop freaking out. How many of you are like, this sermon is for me? Amen. All right, let's talk about it. How can I restore emotional stability as I study this passage? Here's the one big idea that you need to do. One thing you need to do. You need to pursue peace. You need to run after peace. How? Well, first of all, according to verses 2 through 5, you need to pursue peace with other people people. Say this with me. Pursue peace with people. Say it again. Pursue peace with people. Look at what he says in verses two through five. Again, the apostle Paul is writing from the jail in Rome, and he's writing to this church in Philippi. And there were a lot of issues that were thieving away their happiness, and relational instability was one of them. Look at what it says in verses two through four, five. I implore Judea, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are, are written in the book of life. So Paul continues his letter and says, I'm begging Eudia and I'm be- begging Syntyche to get along, to stop fighting each other. They're both good people, and they need to get along with each other. Now, um, Have you ever been in a situation where you were called out publicly for your mistake? How strange is it, right? Somebody calls you out publicly? Imagine what's going on here. The Apostle Paul sends a letter to the church. The church is gathered like you are. The preacher gets up to read the letter. Hello, everybody. We have a letter from Paul. It's all about having joy. And he reads through the first three chapters, and you're sitting there like, this is awesome. This is fantastic. And all of a sudden... The reader reads your name out loud in the church and says, hey, Eudia, you need to stop fighting with Syntyche. And Syntyche, you need to get on with, uh, along with Judea. How embarrassing would that be? These two women in the church at Philippi were fighting each other. They were not getting along with each other. They were arguing with each other. And he says, you need to stop arguing with each other. You need to get along with each other. And everybody else needs to help them get along. Wow. Why? Why? Well, because they were both good people because they both helped Paul in the gospel. Also, they helped another pastor named Clement, and they gave rest to the fellow workers, and they all helped those who were written in the book of life. All the Christians were helped by these two women. They were a help to many other people, but for some reason, they could not get along. Now, before we judge them too harshly... Have you ever been involved in a relationship where you start fighting with the other person and you wonder why other people like them, but you hate them? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you won't say it out loud because you're a Christian. You learned a long time ago you're supposed to hide what you feel. Remember? You know what I'm talking about? And so you're not getting along with these people. You want to fight against these people. And God is speaking to you and he says, no, I want you to rejoice. Look at verse 4. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, he doubles down. He says, I want you to be filled with joy constantly. The problem is here in the church at Philippi, they could not be filled with joy because they were fighting each other. You, you realize a country that is filled with conflict is not gonna be a country filled with joy. A home filled with conflict is not going to be a home filled with joy. A business filled with conflict is not going to be a business filled with joy. A team filled with conflict is not going to be a team filled with joy. I'm telling you, as a student in your class, a classroom filled with conflict is not going to be a classroom filled with joy. A home filled with conflict is not going to be a home filled with joy and a church filled with conflict is not going to be a church filled with joy. And so Paul addresses the elephant in the room, and the elephant are two women who will not get along. Now if you're new here, you're like, oh pastor, are there two women here that aren't getting along? If I, I don't know. Anybody want to tell me? Anybody? I don't, don't. could get really weird, right? He goes on, rejoicing the Lord always. Again, to say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Instead, the church at Philippi had got to the point where the church had been known for their arguing with each other. And he said, I want the church to be known for their joy and their gentleness and their kindness, their self-control, their moderation. I want that to be your reputation. Wouldn't it be good if the church in America had a reputation of joy and love and moderation and confidence in God and faith? Things like gentleness, wouldn't that be good if the church of God in America expressed those things rather than argumentative spirit and hate? And so this is what he's saying. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Paul is saying, don't you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is right here? Don't you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is right beside us? But we can't get along with each other. So have joy by pursuing peace with each other. Now, did you pick it up, Judea and Syntyche? Did you pick up what they were fighting about? Look in the text. Do you see it? Do you see what they were fighting about? Do you see it? You see it's right there? You see it? What were they fighting about? We don't know. (laughs) You're like, I don't see it because it's not there. It's not there in the text at all. You say, well, what were they fighting about? Well, where the Bible is not clear, I like to speculate. So let's guess about what they were fighting about. Like, what were they fighting about? I I don't know. Maybe Judea had purchased the same or a brand new chariot. And Syntyche went out to the dealership, bought the exact same chariot, same color. And Sintaki's like, what's the deal, Yudia? And Yuria's like, I liked it too. Get off my back. Now the whole church is fighting over this. Yudia gathers a bunch of women on her side and, and, and Syntyche gathers a bunch of people on her side. Did you see what she did? I did see what she did. <laughs> fighting about the same church. Maybe that's what it was. Or, or maybe Syntyche met up with some friends and went to go shopping for some tunics at the forum shops. And Sintiki forgot to invite Yudia, But Yudia assumed that Sintiki was being devious. But Sintiki just forgot. And Sintiki tried to say, I'm sorry, I forgot. And Yudia was sitting there and said, I saw it right there on the fa- f- forum book, Facebook. I, I saw it and you did not invite me. And now there's this big fight. Have you ever been in a fight with somebody and you forgot why you fi- were fighting? And you just know you don't like them for some reason? I don't know why they were fighting. They were fighting for some reason. Maybe Yudia and Syntyche went in business together. Yudia was the fixer-upper and Syntyche was the real estate broker. And they just lost a major client. And these two women who were once friends are now angry with each other. Maybe that's what's going on. Or maybe they were both in love with the same man, Quintus (laughs) from Corinth. By the way, we know, we studied Corinthians. You don't want a man from Corinth. You know what I mean? I don't know what they were fighting about. I'll tell you this. Clearly, it doesn't matter what they were fighting about. Paul's point in addressing this fight between these two Christian women was not to deal with the details of the fight. It was to tell the women they need to get along with each other. They need to stop fighting with each other. You say, which was the good one? That's a great question. Which one was the good one, uh, uh, Syntyche or Yudia? Who who was the good one, who was? Who was the good one? Can you tell? The answer is both. I'm gonna ask who was the good one, you say both. Who was the good one? Both. Both. They both helped the church. They both helped Paul. They both were on love Jesus, and they both loved Paul, and they both loved the church, and they both loved God, and they both loved, but they just didn't love each other. And so what does it take for two men who are fighting, two women who are fighting, two individuals who are fighting, two teenagers in the youth group who are fighting, who need to stop and get along? Here's what it takes. It takes humility. It takes a moment where one of you decide, you know what? I need to humble myself and apologize. Say, humility. You say, you don't understand. I was wrong. I'm not saying you weren't wrong. You still need to have humility. Humility. The next thing it takes is help. Do you notice what the text says? It says, I also urge you, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel. You know what we often do we expect two people who are at war with each other to suddenly raise white flags and be okay what it actually takes is somebody to come in between and say can i help moderate this situation i gotta tell you i gotta be really honest with you as your pastor there's one thing that i hate doing it's sticking my nose into business that is not my own and you're thinking to yourself pastor i don't know about this now some of you love to put your nose into business that's not your own This message is not for you. You're like, fantastic, pastor just gave me permission. I've been noticing there are two people fighting. I've been wanting to get in the the midst of that. You probably need a different message, not this one. (laughs) Because you like to get in there and stir up the drama. I'm talking to the person that needs to become a peacemaker. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So maybe it's God calling you at the workplace to get in between those two people and say, hey, can I help moderate this situation here a little bit? Hey, I've been noticing some things, are, it's getting tense. Are you wanting to get along? Yeah, I do, do you wanna get Can we work this out? That's what it's talking about. It takes humility, it takes help, but it also takes a spirit of, of gentleness. That's what it says, with gentleness. Now, why is it gentleness and kindness? Here's why he gives a reason, the Lord is at hand. He's saying, don't you understand that Jesus Christ is among the church? This is why this principle really only works among Christians. The Lord is right in the midst and the Lord himself being in the midst of the church or in the midst of a Christian family or in the midst of a Christian business, the Lord is right there and the Lord wants to bring you together. Why is it important that the Lord is there? Here's why it's important, because a Christian remembers, I know I can forgive somebody else because God has forgiven me. Ha, 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 any, any Christians in the room? Any Christians in the room? Say amen. amen. All right. How many of you that are Christians? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, by the way, we're glad you're here, and and you're a seeker. You're somebody who's interested in these things, but you're not yet a believer. Totally cool. I want to talk to the Christians. Any Christians in the room? Raise your hand real high. Okay. As a Christian, keep your hand up if you have ever made a mistake. Okay. Christians who make mistakes. And two people put their hands down because they are Christians who have not been trained. They don't know theology. Yes, you're a sinner who's been saved. All right. Christians who have made a mistake. Fantastic. We are sinners. Now, now, say what do I need to do? Okay. If you are a Christian who has once sinned, you understand that God has forgiven you. How many of you have been forgiven by God? Say amen. Amen. How many of you have been forgiven by God more than once? Say amen. amen. Okay. This is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. How many of you have been forgiven by God for the same thing? More than five times. More than five? You? What is wrong with you? What did you do? Did you do something? You want to tell? No. Don't do it. It would be weird for everybody. You don't want to do it. This is what we believe as Christians. God forgives us over and over and over and over and over. And with the same way that God is at hand, when the Bible says the Lord is at hand, it reminds us, the Lord has forgiven me, I therefore can forgive others. Now, if you need to forgive others, do so. If you need to learn how to seek forgiveness, let me give you a practicality. When it comes to give, making an apology, there are three steps. I'm very good at making apologies because I make a lot of mistakes. And so I've learned this principle. There are three way, three steps to an apology. If you miss one of these three steps, you screwed up the apology. You you messed it up. You messed it up. This is why some people don't forgive you, primarily because you've never been trained. So this is good. God has you here, so I can train you how to make an apology. Say, "Teach us, Pastor." Say it. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to teach you how. Okay. Number one, I was wrong. Number two, I'm. So, excuse me. I messed it up. I messed it up. Will you forgive me? Forgive you. All right. Very good. All right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Three steps. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Say it with me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? If you have a problem with somebody, or somebody has a problem with you, this is how, the correct way to do an apology. You first express, I'm sorry. You express sorrow. Have you ever had anybody say to you, will you forgive me? I haven't done anything wrong, but will you forgive me? <laughs> I don't really feel bad because there's nothing to feel bad about. I just need you to forgive me. You're like, <laughs> you don't get forgiveness. Don't ever come to me and be like, hey, will you forgive me? I don't think what I did was that big of a deal. But will you forgive me? No, I don't forgive you. I don't forgive you because that's not an apology. I want to hear, I'm sorry. I feel badly for what I did. You say, I don't feel badly. Well, then you'll never, you'll never seek forgiveness. You shall feel badly, you should feel as bad, yea, you should feel worse than they do about what you did. And if you don't feel badly about what you did, it's because you haven't contemplated the depths of sin of what you've done to that person. I'm sorry, express sorrow. Number two, I was wrong, expresses guilt. I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. What we like to say is you were wrong. You were wrong! Now sometimes we'll get to the place where we're like, I was wrong, but you were also wrong, right? It's not the point. I was wrong. You say, but pastor, they were more wrong than I was wrong. Whenever people say that to me in counseling, I say, okay, how much percentage? (laughs) Like, give me a number. Like, what do you mean, percentage? Like, how much? Like, they were 90% wrong and you were 10% wrong? More like 95% wrong. Okay, so they're 95% wrong, yes. And you were how much wrong? 5%. Okay. I want you to own 100% of your 5%. I was wrong for my 5%, 100% wrong, I was wrong. Now, if you look at them and say, Pastor told me to tell you, I was wrong for my 5%, (laughs) it's not going to work. I am genuinely sorrowful for what I did, I was wrong for what I did, and number three, will you forgive me? That's putting the ball in their court. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Please answer in the next 30 seconds because I have processed this for a month. Now I want you to answer in 30 seconds. No, give them time. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Here, here, here's the fact. The reason why some of us don't have joy is because we're emotionally run ragged. We're emotionally run ragged because we haven't had peace with the people around us. We're freaking out because the people at work don't like us, the people at the home don't like us, people at church. We're all frustrated with all these people. And even whenever you have three, four, five days off, you're still experiencing no rest because you're not at peace with people. And so God says, I've got a superpower for you, a gift for the followers of Christ. You can have peace, therefore, Rejoice always, again I say rejoice, have joy in your life if you pursue peace with people. So what do we've learned? Number one, pursue peace with people. Happiness is restored when we finally are at peace with people. Number two, number two, pursue peace with yourself. Say, Say this one with me, pursue peace with yourself. The reason why some are not happy is not because they have unresolved conflict out here, they have internal conflict in here. That's why Paul begins in verse 6 by saying, be anxious for nothing. Filled with anxiety and worry, you say, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong. I've got all this stuff going inside of me. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If you are filled with all sorts of anxiety, you should bring that anxiety before God in prayer and say, God, will you take care of these things? And this is what the Bible says. What God will do is once you give him those things, he exchanges those things for peace. I'm at peace in myself. The peace of God, which surpasses most people's understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus will be guarded, and you'll have peace internally with yourself because you have pushed that anxiety onto God, and you've said, God, I need you to handle this. What's the point? Give it to God. Say, give it to God. Give it to God. Say, give it to God. Say it again. Give it to God. God. Let a pro handle it, y'all. Let a pro handle it. Anybody here believe God knows what he's doing? If you, if you believe God's a pro, give me an amen. amen. See, I'm the kind of guy who lets the pro handle it, you know? I really am. Do-it-yourself people. Any DIY do people? Do-it-yourself? How many of you do-it-yourself? Raise your hand. You're the do-it-yourself people. How many of you are the do-it-yourself people but you shouldn't be? Raise your hand. <laughs> There's some of you. You really are. You're like, I could do that. And you do it. You're like, I should not have done that. Need to call the eye. There are a couple of you, genuinely, there are a couple of you that are like jack of all trades. Like, you can really do a lot of, of amazing stuff. How many of you are genuinely not being prideful? You're like, no, I like, like a it, plumber, I'll figure it out, right? Um, when it comes to replacing the thing, I'm going to replace the thing. How many of you like that? Raise your hand, be honest. If, okay, a couple of you are. I would say, wow, okay. I'd say maybe about 5 to 10% of the congregation. Bobby, I believe that of you. Yeah, you probably do most things, do a lot of things. I am, do you know this about me? I am not the do it yourself guy. You know this about me? Yeah, you know this. We've served together, we know. That's right, you have lent me tools, you never get them back. I sell them on eBay, this is how it works. <laughs> That's how I do it myself, right? I'm not the, I'm the call the guy guy. That's who I am. The thing's not working, we'll call the guy. What guy? The guy who does the thing with the thing. I do the other things. There's some of us who are so incredibly gifted in one or two areas like I am. I am incredibly gifted. You know what I mean? Like I am off the charts when it comes to what I do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that was not a good response. Some of you are like, hmm. Eh, <laughs> like I already yelped this place and it's only a three and a half star. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm, I'm always a call the guy guy. I'm like, call the guy. You call, you got a plumbing problem, you call the plumber because the plumber knows what the plumber does. You got an electrical problem, you call the electrician. You put the lamp in the thing, you don't, you don't cut out the, the, the drywall and shove a lamp up there and like patch it, and it looks like you patched it because you don't know what you're doing. You call the guy to do the thing that the guy does. get carpet, what do you find, carpet at the, at the, at the drugstore, and you bring in carpet, and you're stapling it. You call the guy. Why? Because the guy knows what he's doing. Now, Bobby, let me ask you this. Are there some, th- you know a lot of things, are there some things that even you call the guy to do the thing? Yeah. What is the one thing, you th- what's a thing that you're like, man, I do a lot of things, but this one thing I won't do when it comes to that thing, I call the guy to do that thing. What is it? Electrical. Electrical. Okay, so the, any electrical people here? Okay, there's an electrician, you can call that guy. All right. <laughs> so even the guy who does all the things, there are some things that even the guy calls the guy to do the thing. Okay, this is what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is this, you got a lot of things and it's bringing you anxiety. And what I'm saying is most of us need to just go to the guy and be like, okay, I got these things. Okay, so funny thing, last night, like literally last night, um, I get in bed and uh, I lay down. And normally I fall right to sleep, right before Heather. I always fall asleep before Heather, clear conscience. I, leave, I lead a clean, holy life, you know what I mean? And I lay down last night and I could not sleep. I straight up, I'm like, God, what's going on? And what was going on is I was thinking about this thing that I have at work coming up this next week at church. I I have this big, I've got some stuff that I have to deal with. And it just was rushing in my mind. I'm like, okay, I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this. And then I was thinking next year and then this thing came, this other thing came in about next year. Next year, I've got this tax situation that I got to deal with. You say the tax situation? Yeah, if you're from the IRS and you're here, let's talk afterward. Okay, all right. No, but I do, I got some stuff next year that I have to deal with because of something that happened this year. And I'm like, I don't know, it stresses me out. Anytime I think about it, like literally, I'm like, ugh, because I don't do that stuff, you know. This thing is just driving me nuts. And then my broader family, how many of you have your family in your home but you have a broad family, you know what I'm talking about? And in my broader family, there's some stuff going on right now, these other things. And so now my mind is going from this thing to that thing to the other thing and that thing and this thing and that. And I'm laying there. And the lo- later I get, the more I begin to feel. Do you, you know the feeling, the pressure right here? It starts to go on my chest. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and God spoke in my ear and said, you know, you're talking about anxiety tomorrow. Like 12 hours from now, you're gonna tell people how to not do this. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. What did the, what, what, what's, the, what's the Bible say about this? You know the thing you've been studying all week. <laughs> oh, that's right, what's the, what's the formula? Formula is I've got anxiety, be anxious for nothing, but instead everything through prayer, prayer, that's right. And last night, hand to God, this is exactly what I did. I slipped out of bed, I got on my knees before God and I said, okay, God, okay, and I'd already wrote that whole thing about give the guy the thing, because I'm not the guy, you know, give the, and I said, okay, God, here's the thing, here's the work thing. I don't know what to do with this, because I'm a little stressed out. Can you deal with the thing? And then I said, okay, here's the family thing. And I just prayed about the family thing until I felt peace. And then there was the next year tax thing. I'm like, okay, I don't know, there's nothing I can do, God, but you, I, I trust you, you know what you can you take the thing? And I just prayed about that thing until I felt peace. <sighs> and then I got off my knees and I crawled back into bed, woke up Heather. And I could breathe. Do you know why? Because I took the things to the guy. And I say, guy, you got to handle these things because I don't know how to handle these things. And then the Bible tells you what happens next. Look what it says in the next verse. Look at what it says in verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, what do you do when you're at p- at finally at peace? Because you gave the guy the things. Once you're at peace, if you're not careful, all the things start to get back in your brain. I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about that. I want you to think about all the things. This is the thing, and that's the thing, and you stop, and then all of a sudden, it's all back, and all the heaviness. And so Paul says, no, no, no. What you do instead is, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, whatever things are virtuous, whatever things are praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about the good things. So you're laying there in bed, you pray, you prayed and gave it all to God. Now think about the good things. You know, God, I love you because you're true. You know, God, I love the church because it's, it's, it's pure, and I love you, and I love what you've given me. It's lovely, and thank you for my family, and thank you for the good things. It's Thanksgiving, do you see? And what I've learned in my life thus far is that happiness is restored when you're at peace with yourself, and as a Christian, you have the power to get there. First, we learn that happiness is restored when you're at peace with people. Secondly, we learn that happiness is restored when you're at peace with yourself. And thirdly, we see you can stop freaking out. You can restore emotional stability if you pursue peace with people, with yourself. And number three, if you receive peace from God. Let me explain. The peace that you experience with other people is only temporary if you don't have a peace with God. And the peace you receive within yourself is only temporary if you don't have peace with God. This is what verse nine is indicating. Look at what it says in verse nine. The Bible refers to God as the God of peace. I I think it'll be on the screen. It says in Philippians chapter four and verse nine. Look what it says on the screen. It's gonna be on the screen. The screen's gonna go to it in a moment. Here it is, there it is. The things which you have learned and received and have heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Follow these principles and the God of peace stays with you. Why does he call him the God of peace? Here's why, here's why. Because friend, friend, If you are new to this whole Christian thing, you have to understand the premise of our faith. Mankind was at war with God. God was not at war with man. It wasn't that God was angry with us. It's that we were created by God and we declared war against God. You say, how do you declare war against God? Well, you have to understand God is holy and merciful and loving. But we, we are hateful and hurtful And we are sinful against God. And every sin that you and I have ever committed, any time you have ever broken the laws of God, you have declared war against God. And in doing so, you may not have realized it. In fact, some of you might be so new to this concept, you're waking up to the reality right now that you were living a life at war against God. This is why people die and go to hell because they were at war with the God who created them. Sin demands judgment, and that judgment is hell. And God sends those that that are at war with him to a place called hell. You say, well, that's terrible. What are we going to do? You're not the first one that figured out what was terrible. God himself, the Bible says, saw this problem. And he didn't want you to go to hell, even though you were at war with him. So instead of damning you to hell, God loved you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. He, they call him the Prince of Peace because when Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross, he took the hand of God and he took the hand of man and he brought them together through his death. He is the one who has brought peace between you and your creator. All you have to do is repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your savior and the Bible says you'll be born again. That's exactly what Ali did. He found happiness when he became at peace with his creator. See, Ali grew up in the Middle Eastern country with an extremely devout Muslim family. Upon his arrival to the United States, he began to explore the doubts that he had about God, the religious system in which defined his view of the divine. Rejecting Islam, Ali began to search far and wide for truth, attending a variety of different religious services and churches like ours. He told me that he heard many interesting things and ideas that challenged his world view, but he hadn't yet learned about God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But just a few months ago, just a few months ago, he walked into this building. He came to Southern Hills Church for the very first time. These are the words he told me. He said, Pastor, he said something different happened to me as I sat there. The people were so very friendly, and I thought they might not want me here because I was a Muslim. By the way, isn't that a terrible thing that people might think that we would not want them here because of their background? I thought people might not want me here because I was a Muslim, but the music and the prayer time were so beautiful, and I get that God was in this room, and then when you talked about Jesus and his cross, it was like, these are words words, it was like I woke up for the very first time. Do you remember when God woke you up for the very first time? where he woke you to the truth. It's like I woke up for the very first time. I understood my sin and I understood that Jesus was my friend. It was just a few weeks ago, I was sitting outside that Starbucks on Blue Diamond and Buffalo. I was walking through the good news of the gospel, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was sitting there with Ali and I, I shared with him how he could be born again and Ali right there bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He said these words to me. He said, I wanna be a real disciple. And if that means going back home to my country of origin, or if that means living in Los Angeles, or if that means spending the rest of my life in Las Vegas with this church, I am willing to follow Jesus anywhere. By the way, I'd like to now be called Peter. Peter's going to get baptized at the 1130 service in about 35 minutes here. Before leaving our coffee appointment, he smiled at me and quietly said these words, and I don't think think I'll ever forget them. uh, Peter said this. He said, you know, Pastor, I was a little afraid to meet you today. After learning about my Muslim family and my connection to the Islamic religion, I was afraid you might ask me never to come back to church. Oh, my dear brother. (laughs) Don't you understand that's the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he takes all of us who come from various backgrounds and forgives our backgrounds and brings us to the same level playing field at the cross. And we are all welcomed by the peace loving God of the Bible. All he had to do was repent of his sin and receive Jesus Christ as your savior. I wonder if there's someone in the room today who has never yet repented of their own sin and received Jesus Christ as savior. I don't want you to think about peace with your friends and peace with yourself if you're not at peace with your creator. Your soul is at stake. If you've never been born again, would you today repent and receive Jesus as your savior? I'm gonna give you a chance to do so right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, help me as I help these folks now. I pray that you would make us or lead us to make wise decisions in this moment of invitation with your heads bowed and eyes closed, friend, I wanna ask you a question. and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if it's true. It's something we do at this church and it's your opportunity to make a decision based on what we talked about. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm a Christian, I know that, but the fact is I need to seek peace with another person. I need to go after my yudia, my syntyche, and I need to make peace. If that's your decision as a Christian today, would you raise your hand with me right now? Pastor Josh, that's me. All right, a lot of us in the room. Will you put your hands down and just tell that to God? Say, God, I need to seek peace with this person. I'm going to do it. Decision number two. Pastor Josh, I need to seek peace in myself. I'm so overwhelmed. I need to bring my things to the guy. If that's you here today, would you raise your hand? Pastor Josh, I need to deal with this anxiety. I need to bring my things to the guy. Prayer, put your hands down. Tell that to God. Say, God, I need to bring you my things and stop trying to hold my things. Number three, Pastor Josh, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. I need to receive peace from God. I've never been saved, but like Ali, I need to be born again. If that's you here today, would you raise your hand? Pastor Josh, today, I don't think I've ever done that, but I'd like to. Okay. I see a few of us. Good. Praise God. You put your hands down. Would you talk to God right now? Right now, you can talk to God silently in your heart, say to God, God, forgive my sins. I believe you died for me. I know you rose from the grave, I believe it. And I'm asking you to save my soul and make me a Christian. Friend, if you prayed to receive Christ, we believe you were born again. And in a moment, we're going to share with you who you can talk to to help solidify that decision. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance you've given us to be in this place. You have moved in this room. You have spoken to our hearts. And you've changed our perspective just because we've studied the Bible today. I pray we would obey what we've learned today. In Jesus' name we pray. if God has used this message to impact your life we would love to hear from you please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com if you would like to support this ministry financially you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give we are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world